Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome to episode number two. In this episode, we are going to talk a little more about spelling. Specifically, we're going to talk about phonemes and graphemes. I feel like I knew of these words, I had heard these words, never really 100% made sense of them. Obviously, I have some idea of phone means what you hear, graph means what, you know, like writing. So I had an idea, but I never really quite knew how all of these things were related. So why don't we start with a couple of definitions? So first, let's talk a little bit about phonemes. We know that phone often is things that we hear, like homophone, we talk on the telephone, things like that. We know phone means what we hear. So we can pretty much determine that phonemes are the things that we hear in words. Words are made up of phonemes. So for our students, we might see this being an area of strength. They can totally pick out the phonemes within a word. They may not know the graphemes that go with them, which we'll talk about here in a minute, but they can hear all of the parts of a word. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we also have students who struggle just to figure out or to break apart those words or to begin hearing those individual sounds. So in my mind, I often think, well, this is the easy part, like say the word slowly, what sounds do you hear, stretch it out, you know, we think this would be the easy part. And for some of our kids, it is, this is definitely the easier of the two, but we also have to acknowledge how difficult it is for some of our students also to figure out what each of those phonemes are or to hear all of those phonemes. To me, I think a lot of ending blends like in sink and ing, some of those welded sounds, do you really hear all of the phonemes that are in there? Mm, that's debatable really. And it might depend on how how you speak and how much you really stretch those out. So phonemes are simply what you hear. Graphemes are what you write. So when you hear that phoneme, it corresponds with a grapheme or in many cases, graphemes, many graphemes. Think of your vowel sounds. I remember going to a training um, once and I was asked to write all of the graphemes that can be used for the long A sound. So I remember thinking like, this'll be a piece of cake. I can do this, not a problem. I teach spelling, I'll just kind of think of 
a natural progression? What would I be teaching early in the year, middle of the year, end of the year? What are some of those common ones that we do all the time? What are some that are less common? Like I can do this. So I had like four or five written down and I was feeling really, really good. Like, okay, I, I got several. And then the presenter said, does anybody have eight ways to spell the long A sound? I thought, oh my gosh, eight ways? There's no way. I had like four. So I challenge you to hit the pause button and count on your fingers how many ways you can come up with or you know, write it down, put it in the notes of your phone, something. And I challenge you to see, can you come up with eight ways to say the long A sound? I'll give you a minute and then I'll come back and I'll tell you all of the eight ways. All right, I really feel like I'm gonna need to know if you were able to come up with eight, okay? So whether it's through email or social media, I'd love to know exactly how many you were able to do. So I feel whenever I did this, I was able to get really common ones like A consonant E, A-I, A-Y. I even felt like a real superstar by coming up with like E-Y, like in they, I thought, okay, you know, I've, I've got this, they, pray, that kind of thing. And then I even had like just A, you know, because sometimes these vowels, we think that there are more than one, something that makes it a long vowel, but we also have some of those sneaky words where it's just an A and somehow you're gonna have to know it's just an A, like in an open syllable, like table, it's just an A. So then the presenter says, what about E-I-G-H, like in eight, the number eight. E-I-G-H. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a way. What about E-I like in vain? And I thought, oh, okay. You got me there. Didn't have that one. What about E-A like in break as in I need to take a break. Those spellings absolutely make no sense. Not one of them has an A in it but yet somehow it makes the A sound. So when we're thinking about how and why kids are struggling with spelling, look at some of those things. Like, how do we make sense of that? If I struggle to come up with eight ways for the long A spelling, how are we expecting, say, second graders, third graders, fourth and fifth graders to come up with this? That's difficult. And it is our job to teach them this is the most common way that you're going to see it. And this is the least common way that you're going to see this spelling. And we need to practice it as such. And I'll be honest, that takes time. You don't crank out eight ways to spell the long A sound and they know the most common to the least common overnight. You don't do that in a week. You don't even do that in a month. I wouldn't do that in a month. There are rules associated with why would I use this one instead of that one? How would I use this instead of, you know, what position in a word, what position in a syllable would I use this spelling over that spelling? There are rules and it takes time for our students to hear them, see them, practice them, get comfortable and familiar with them. And I try to encourage my students to hear those phonemes, what you hear, and use what you know about graphemes to match what you're hearing. 
and I try to be really honest with my students. Sometimes whenever they're asking how to spell a word and they're stretching it out, um, perfect example, today with my students, we were writing the word fly. Well, this is a group of first graders who are working on CBC words. Do you think they are going to know and remember the, the Y says the I at the end of that word? No, they've never, ever been explicitly taught that. And so I try to tell my kids, use what you know. And we even talk about, we'll learn that later. But right now, we are not ready for that. And, and I... Maybe that's terrible of me to say, but I think it's important for them to know there are ways that we don't even know. And on some occasions, I'll tell them, you know, this, I'll, this is a perfect opportunity for me to tell you or teach you that sometimes we put a Y at the end, believe it or not, and give them some examples. My, cry, fly, which we were trying to spell, by, why. It has an I sound, that's the phoneme that we hear, but the grapheme is actually a Y. So it's good for kids to, to be familiar, but they need to also understand that they do not have all of the knowledge, all of the pieces to spell every word, and that that's okay. We don't expect them to be able to spell every single word. Even if it's been introduced or they're learning that, are they gonna remember that every single time? Probably not, but it's okay for them to be aware that there are some things that we just don't know because Lord Jesus, there are eight ways to say the long A sound. Maybe this is sad, maybe this is like, oh my gosh, what do you do in your spare time? But I also really enjoyed trying to see if I could remember like all of the ways to make the long E sound or all of the ways to make the long O sound. I also find it fun to do the R controlled and I like to ask other people to spell the SH sound, the SH sound, because man, oh man, is it hard. And there are so many ways that you don't even think about to say the SH sound in a word. And I really like this as an activity for teachers who are struggling to kind of make the connection of why this is hard or um, even just where our students are at. Um, I had a group of teachers a long time ago who used to be really upset with some special ed teacher friends of mine who were really decoding words for kids or kind of stretching out those words. And they would say the phoneme and expect the kids to write the grapheme. And they were like, well, of course they do well on a test whenever you give them all of the sounds. Well, I mean, I could sit there and say A as the long A sound, but there are eight ways. They're probably just going to write down the A and move on. That's not necessarily giving them the biggest hint in the world. And so even for them to see just how complex it is and just how difficult it is for students to see all the different ways and just to realize the time that it's going to take to master or to even have a better understanding, even if it's not mastery, even if it's just understanding that there are different ways, it's a great kind of even like an adult check, like, whoa, sister, this is hard for our kids. This is hard for adults to teach in a way that is easily digestible 
in a way that's going to help the kids without overwhelming the kids. So I maybe I'm just a dork. I don't know. But after I went to that training, I literally went back to my classroom and asked the people in my room if they could do that. And it's hard, very, very hard. So I am not an expert. I a lot of times need a refresh, especially like at the beginning of the year when I haven't actively been teaching all of those ways to make different sounds. Now, I really derailed that. I did not plan to start talking about <laughs> giving kids hints on tests. That was not where I was going. But phonemes, graphemes, those graphemes are overwhelming. And when we consider what is going to be more difficult for a student, most of the time it's going to come down to all of those graphemes. How do they know which one to put in what word and where and how do I know all the rules? And so I have a couple of numbers that are just a little bit shocking in my mind. And so I wanna share those. And at first I wrote down, or I have always said that there are 42 phonemes, 42 sounds in various words. And then I was reading a book and it said 41. And I was like, oh my gosh, have I literally been putting 42? And it's 41, like I look like an idiot. Then I was looking through another book. This is all like as I'm prepping to talk about spelling and then thinking, oh, how are you going to talk about spelling if you don't even know how many phonemes? And then I saw 44. So again, I'm questioning my own knowledge and like, oh my gosh, how do you think it's 42? How does this book say 41? How does this book say 44? What the heck? And then I read my last book or kind of went through my last notes and it said 40 to 44, depending on your dialect. And suddenly I felt like, okay, you're not so stupid here. You're not so <laughs> unaware of all of these phonemes. And so we have to kind of take that into account when you hear or see different numbers um, as far as how many phonemes. Whenever you're looking at a phoneme grapheme chart, you have to understand that there could be some variability because me in Southern Indiana might make a different phoneme grapheme chart than somebody who lives in Boston or somebody who lives in Texas or somebody who lives in Tennessee. Like we'll all talk a little bit differently. Um, I remember, I, I don't think I talk with an accent. I like never thought that. But I had some cousins who were from Chicago and they used to come down and visit and they would be like, I just love your accent. I don't have an accent. You guys are the ones with the accent. That's what's coming into play when we're talking about how many phonemes. It's going to depend on who you are, where you are, and what do the people around you sound like. As you can imagine, there are so many more graphemes than there are phonemes. So for those 40 to 44, depending on where you live phonemes, there are about 250 graphemes. What a difference. That is just insane to me that we have, you know, about 42 sounds and 250 graphemes. That is almost six times the number of graphemes as there are to phonemes. And that is why spelling and decoding is challenging for our students. That's why it's hard. And we, it is our job to teach them and help them make sense of all of those graphemes and how they fit with phonemes. 
which means we have to have a plan for how are we going to teach these? How are we going to be constantly spiral reviewing these? And does the order in which we teach these graphemes, does that matter? I say, no, that doesn't matter. I do not think that the order or the program or, well, this series teaches this letter first, or this series teaches this grapheme first, or this one, you know, I don't care. What I want you to think about when it comes time for you to choose something or teach something or dive in head first to teaching your students graphemes in an order that makes sense, I want you to keep a handful of things in mind. Begin thinking about what words you're going to be able to make with the graphemes that they know. So for example, um, kindergarten teachers are especially passionate about the order in which you teach those letters at the beginning of kindergarten. And some people do it alphabetically. Some people, I mean, it feels like everybody starts with M if you don't do it alphabetically. There are different systems, different letters after that. But some people are very passionate about one or the other. And to me, I think, who cares what the order is, but can you begin making words with the graphemes that they know? So let's say on the first day of school, I teach the letter A, and the second day of school, I teach the letter B, and the third day of school, I teach the letter C. It's okay to teach those just in isolation. We're three days into kindergarten. We don't need to start talking, to make, talking about making CBC words, okay? Too early. Even if you did week one is the letter A, week two is the letter B, week three is the letter C. Three weeks in, I wouldn't be talking so much about making CBC words. But it is nice and it is valuable for students to be able to see why the heck are we learning all of these letters? Why do I need to know the sounds? Show them that they can begin making words with those. If I have A, B, and C, I can make a word. I can make the word cab. Once I throw the letter D in there, I have even more options. I could spell bad or cad or cab or ad. There are options. I can start showing students that you can make words. But the same is true if you follow other orders where M, O, and P are some of the first letters that you learn. I can make words. Throw in some other letters and guess what? Once again, I can make some words. Not that they're going to be mastering that at that point, but just for them to start seeing, now what do we do? We know these letters. We know these sounds. Or I'm learning these letters and I'm learning these sounds. Well, those phonemes and graphemes have a, have a job and it's to make words. We should also be mindful of what letters sound similar and do what we can to split them up. In my mind, a good intervention already has them split up. You're not teaching M and N close together because so many students confuse M and N. They confuse them and it's easy to understand. When they say the wrong one, you're like, ah, oh, buddy, I, I get why you said that, but it's actually, we've said that so many times because we understand that difficulty. We understand that they sound so similar. Um, even like the in a K and a qu in a queen or a, a Q sound, 
I get how those sound so similar and I don't think they should be taught near one another. I wouldn't do those at the same time. I think also considering vowels is an important piece too. E and I, sweet Jesus, I feel like I spend half of my year trying to help my students distinguish between those two. And on top of that, 10 and 10, like the number 10, and I have an Altoids 10 of mints. Have you, you know, like, how do you distinguish between those two? So some of those vowels are so tricky and I don't think they should be taught close to one another. I think you should give students an opportunity to hear and see that early vowel sound or one vowel sound before we go throwing something that sounds so similar to that, you know, to the previous one. In addition to that, start thinking of things that look visually similar. If you're teaching words in alphabetical order, which is fine, we can make words with that. Our vowels are somewhat split up. It's not perfect, but somewhat. Then what about B and D? Are we really going to learn those two days apart? Like teach B, do C, and then the next day come in and do D? Those look so visually similar. P and Q, all of those things that some of our students with dyslexia confuse I would not teach those back to back to back. Now, with some systems and programs, like I said, they're amazing, they're wonderful, they're research-based and proven. So I wouldn't totally scrap it. I'm not saying that at all, but be, just be mindful of that. And when possible, if you could, you know, you love this intervention, it's great and wonderful, but oh man, that B and D are close to each other or P and D, I would separate them. I would be mindful of that so that you can, we, we don't want to confuse them with things that visually look the same or sound the same. That's just too much. So I think when it comes time to choosing which intervention would be best, we need to be considering these three things and one being out of place or one isn't a deal breaker. But if all three or two of the three, I would maybe rethink is this going to be something that makes sense? If you have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I love quotes, I love books, and I love sharing quotes from books. So I'm going to end this episode with a quote from the book Speech to Print. And it says, One of the most robust findings of modern reading research is that proficient reading and spelling are strongly associated with the ability to identify, remember, separate, combine, and manipulate phonemes, and to do so rapidly and without effort. Now, I don't know about you, but that was a long list of verbs in my mind. That's a lot that we and that our students have to do as we're reading. That's a lot of multitasking. That's a lot of potential for difficulty. There were so many verbs there. We might be good at remembering them, but not so good at manipulating them, not so good at combining them. So there, there's a lot of potential there for weaknesses, a lot of potential for kids to be good at this and not good at that. So I feel like this episode was really heavy on graphemes and we know and we understand why mastering graphemes are so difficult for some of our students. So my biggest tips for you are to find a sequence, find an order that makes sense. 
where the sequence builds off of what we know. So if we know how to spell a CVC word, then we can also spell words with beginning blends or that's gonna be our next step. Once we master words with beginning blends, maybe we start working on some diagraphs. After we do diagraphs, then we might have words with a CVCE. And while spelling words with CVCE, we might also be reviewing some of those beginning blends. We might also be reviewing some of those diagraphs. And that's wonderful. That's perfect. We also need to be teaching our students, not only in an order that makes sense, but teaching them the most common ways that you're going to spell each of those sounds. Then when I'm going to spell a word with the long A sound, I may not know the correct one, but I at least know the most common one to use, and then I can put it into the word. I also think it's really, really important to teach some of those rules. We use AI if it's in the middle of a word or a syllable, but we're going to use AY if it's at the end of a word or at the end of a syllable. That way our students do begin to determine the who, what, when, where of all of these graphemes. Next week, we are going to talk about all things phonological awareness and phonemic awareness. So this week we focused a lot on the graphemes, the actual written part, where next week we're going to talk a lot about the things that students are hearing and what we can do to help them improve their phonological awareness. If you have ever been on one of my webinars or my Facebook lives, you know that I live right across the road from railroad tracks and I never know when they're going to come through. But every time they do, it literally sounds like I'm going to be run over by a train and I can hear it honking down the road or down the tracks. So I think this is the perfect time to conclude this episode. But I do want to challenge you to start looking and listening to the weaknesses that you're seeing in your students and see, are they struggling more with the grapheme side of things or the phoneme side of things? And I'll see you in the next episode because here comes that train and we'll talk all about phonological awareness. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the resource room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.